Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today's guest is Robert Baer. Robert had two near-death experiences in one day. His NDEs were profiled in the TV show I Survived Beyond and Back, And he was a featured case study by author Deborah Diamond in her book, Life After Near Death. Robert is also interviewed for an upcoming episode on William Shatner's show, Unexplained on the History Channel. Robert, thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate you and welcome. Thank you for having me as your guest. I appreciate it. All right. So my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. And um, so if you don't mind, let's jump right into yours. This goes back to the year 2009, and um, in 2008, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. I used to be a California Highway Patrolman. I was a policeman, and uh, I I had some very good close friends in the police line of work, and for years, we we still maintain contact with one another, those of us that are still alive. And I got a call from a friend of mine who I hadn't talked to for a few years, but you always know you have a good friend when you pick up the phone and you start talking and it's like no time has passed. And uh, when he called, um, he said, Robert, I've got a question for you. And I said, what's that? He said, I feel compelled to ask you are you right with the Lord? I said, what? And he goes, I just feel compelled to, to ask you. And I said, I said, I'm, I, I'm doing fine as far as I know. And we were talking about health and I was about to have a full physical where you have the treadmill and you have all the, all the different types of things. And, and um, so had that discussion, had my physical, passed it with flying colors, had a clean bill of health from the doctors. And I thought, well, oh. in the back of my mind, though, I wondered, I personally wondered why he asked me the, the, the question. But I, I was laying in bed one night and my mother passed away in 2005 and all of a sudden at the foot of my bed was my mother and she was beautiful. She looked like she did when I was a little boy, young. And my mother was very attractive. (coughs) And um, I saw her and my mother said, and I don't know how we communicated. I don't know if it was, I can't explain it. Maybe it was telepathically. I'm not sure. I woke up from a, from a deep sleep. But she said, get your affairs in order. You're going to die. And, I mean, 
I just started to sweat profusely. I was in a pool of sweat in my bed. And my my mother disappeared, but I got up and I couldn't sleep the rest of the night. It was it was that traumatic. And I knew some I it was real. I knew it was real. And um so my friend that had called me, my police friend that had called me, he died. He passed away from a stroke. And I ended up going down for his celebration of life and uh, talked uh, uh, for his a portion of his eulogy and saw everybody there. And I mean, it, it was really a sad day, but I went back home and a couple weeks later, I'm laying in bed and all of a sudden at the foot of my bed is my friend He's there. And I thought, what are, you, what are you doing here? And he said, I came here to tell you I'm going to bring you through the light. I said, what? And he goes, I'm going to bring you through the light. He says, I have to go now. I want to visit my grandkids in Sacramento. Same thing. I woke up in a pool of sweat. Um, and I don't know if I should say I woke up. I had woken up, but I was in a pool of sweat. Couldn't sleep. And I mean, it was so eerie. And I don't know how we talked. I think it was telepathically. I, it was just just a, an unusual set of circumstances. And I just had that physical. So, I, you know, I, I didn't think much as much about it as I did when I saw my mother. My son lives down in Phoenix, Arizona, and at the time he was a high school football, baseball, basketball coach, and um, he would have like a spring break. And I would go down and uh, visit with him and my granddaughters, and we'd go out to some of the spring training games, and just it was kind of like an annual thing that we did. And I went down, I went down there, and I'm from a coastal climate. Um, I live in Oregon. I live actually in Newport, Oregon, uh, right on the right on the coast. I actually have a place that's actually on the beach, is where I actually live. And um, I'm just used to that climate. And when I went to Arizona, it was almost 100 degrees, even though it was March. And I felt very uncomfortable. It didn't feel good the whole time I was there. I just kind of chalked it up to change in the adapting to the weather and um, didn't think much of it. But as I was, as my son dropped me off at the airport at the, at the end of my visit, I said goodbye to him. I wasn't feeling good. And I thought, man, I can hardly wait to get home to Oregon. And my flight was at a certain time and I, I had plenty of time to go to through TSA and the line was just massive. And I thought, Oh, I don't feel good. How am I going to do this? But I John Wayne it, made it through the TSA line. Once I got through there, I went to a little uh, market uh, in the airport. I bought some aspirins. It's probably a good thing I did. Took them. And um, I made it to the gate. 
still not feeling well. Well, they, they called us to come and board the plane. I boarded the plane. And as I was putting stuff in the overhead bin, I dropped dead of a massive heart attack. And I was so blessed. I was blessed because there were two people on that plane that were off-duty firemen that had actually come down to see some spring training games. And they knew how to do CPR and work a defibrillator and all this other uh, stuff. And um, I don't remember anything about that because I gravitated into a light. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences anybody could ever have. And somebody was with me. There was more than one person. And I'd like to think it was my friend because if he told me he was going to do something, he would do it. That's just what we did as policemen. We did that for one another. It was a real tight bond we had. But I gravitated. And the next thing I remember, I'm in a, I'm in an area where I'm surrounded by all types of souls. I mean, it's just, all over the place. And there's a higher power there. I could not look at the higher power. But I was told, and I don't know what language I was told. I don't even know if I was told verbally. But I understood. I was asked what good had I done in my life. That was the bottom line. The next thing I know I'm seeing this life review. And it started from the time I was conceived all the way till the time that I died. And what was unusual about this was that not only could I feel my feelings all over again, the people that I actively saw in each phase of my life I could understand how they felt about me personally. There were no secrets, nothing but the truth. I didn't like what I, what I found out about how they thought about me. I have to admit, when you become a policeman, when you have a lot of power, I was a policeman for 23 years. I was a city manager a professor, tribal administrator, and a general manager. Every position that I had affected lives, and I did not realize it to the extent that I did till I saw myself. And, Jeff, it started where I, I, with life lessons, too. Uh, I was like four four or five years old, and I actually saw this. We, my family, we used to load up in a station wagon on Saturdays, and we'd go to, to downtown San Jose when I was a kid, and we'd go do shopping. And I remember I was in a store, and I, I asked my father if, if uh, I saw some baseball cards. They were a nickel a pack. I said, can I have those baseball cards? And he goes, ask your mother. Well, I knew if I asked my mother, it was an automatic no. That's just the way it was. But he told me to ask her, so I asked her. 
And of course, she said, no. So I stole the cards. Mm. And um, we we went home, and I was off in my room, and I took the cards out of there. It was like a wax paper type. Uh, they they're kind of packed in like a wax paper type wrapper, but it had a stick of real hard chewing gum in there. Um, I saw the cards, had the, saw the chewing gum. I just popped it in my mouth and my mother opened the door and she goes, Robert, where'd you get that gum? And I mean, I was just totally busted. And on top of that, I lied about it. Uh, I, she said, that's it. So she got my father. They loaded me up in a car and I had with the baseball cards and the partially chewed piece of chewing gum and the wrapper and took me back to the store. And my mother, boy, talk about a life lesson. She, she said to the store owner, you can arrest him. We don't care. He stole these cards. That's not acceptable in our family. Um, he was told not to, not, he couldn't have the cards. And, and she said, go ahead and call the police if you want. And my, the guy goes, I I don't want to call the police on a, your son's only like five years old. And she goes, I don't, we don't care. We just want it taken care of. And I I was just shaking in my boots and, and I could read the mind of the guy saying, oh, this is, this is way overboard. And my mother and my father and my dad just was afraid to say anything just the way it was. I, I grew up in an Irish Catholic household. It's just mama ruled, ruled the roost. That's, that's the way it is. And um, so anyways, my dad paid the nickel. I took the cards. We went back home and I got grounded for, I don't know how long, but I, my father was alive after I had my life review and came back to life. I'm going to, just talk about this for a moment because I was telling him about this. And when I did, he was laughing about it at the time. But I said, you and mom did your jobs as parents. You did your job. It had, that had a, pro- a profound effect on my life. Period. It did. I thanked him for it. And, um, I mean, the life review that I had, it went playing sports, which I was very good at. School. I got to see my my friends again. Some of them had died. We had cars and stuff in high school, and we used to work on them in auto lab and do stuff like that. And I saw this one uh, young lady in, in a in a in a, a real touching moment uh, where I, I had this girl that liked me in high school and I used to go to the coca I used to take her to the boardwalk in Santa Cruz and take her to the dances. Cause I had to go cause my sister couldn't go unless I went with them. And if uh, her and her boyfriend, if we went to a drive-in, I had to sit in the back seat. She got to sit in the front. It was just my parents had all these rules, Irish Catholic type stuff. And um, this young lady came up to me and she goes, 
can you, there's a dance at the Coconut Grove. Can you take me tonight? And I said, I want to go cruising with my friends, go cruising Big Beach Street. I had, I had a nice Chevy and stuff. And my whole life was in, wrapped up into that, into my cars. I mean, it's just the way it was when you were a teenager, mm-hmm. at least in that time period. So she got all upset, came back and gave me this letter. And that night she went out with a couple other people and got in a car crash and died in the car crash. And when it got to that part of my life review, I actually heard a voice say, you never opened my letter. <sighs> I never did. I personally, I, I, I know what was in the letter. I just didn't open it. But even during my life review, this came up. And I saw one thing after another. Saw my dog, uh, one of my dogs get run over. Saw a situation where I was sitting with a friend of mine, and he threw a rock that broke a window, and he took off and ran, and the lady came out and accused me of throwing the rock and breaking the window. And the more I denied it, the more, the more, <laughs> the more she got upset. I saw that. And I actually heard a voice say, I'm sorry. I was, I was wrongfully accused of something. And my parents actually believed her. It was just one of those things. But I saw these things unfold. One of the best days of my life had to do with this. this uh, I, I'm, I'm from Santa Cruz, California. Uh, I met this girl, and she was from Newport Beach, California and she came up with her parents uh, to San Francisco and they called me and I got to go up there and spend the day with her and of course her mother went around with us but it was fine that was one of the best days of my life and I got to live it all over again and of course days like when your kids are born and uh, all these special events and stuff you get to live those over again but the bulk of the things I saw, I, I was not happy with myself. And when I was working in, with the highway patrol, first I was a Santa Cruz city policeman. I did that for a year. And then I went to, I went to the California highway patrol and I worked for them actually for 22 years. And after graduating from the Academy, I went to Watts, which was right around the riot time. And when you, I had white hair and blue eyes, and when you looked like I did, that wasn't a good place to be. Um, and in those days, it was talk about tension. Oh, anger. You work in Watts. It was not a fun time. It was not a fun assignment. I was lucky to just have to do one year there. And then I got out and I went to San Francisco. I transferred North, but there was a situation one night where someone had actually, um, well, they used to, we used to make stops and sometimes they go in the projects and there would be, sometimes they were like two or three stories high and you'd be making a stop 
you look up and there'd be rifles pointing at you. It was just really intimidating. And <clears throat> one night we were arresting somebody in that type of a situation, and I heard some gunshots go off. And the, and the next thing you know, pardon me, I get something to drink here. <clears throat> and and the next thing you know, I hear somebody running towards us, and he's carrying a rifle. Pardon me for a minute. That's better. <clears throat> he's carrying a rifle, and I yelled at him to halt. He didn't. He just kept coming towards us. And for some reason, I didn't draw down on him or anything. He came up and he told us that somebody had just robbed him and he had fired some warning shots. When I saw that part of my life review, I actually heard somebody say, thanks for not shooting me. And I mean, those were intense times. I went to the riots in Berkeley was part of the ride squad. Um, I was blessed where I got to do dignitary protection sometimes, whether it was the president or whatever. I uh, pick people up at the airport, take them to the top of the mark, for example, in San Francisco. I just had a great police life. It was great. But the way you affect people, it really got to me. It really did. It still bothers me to talk about it. This whole time, I could not. I could not look at at the higher power. I couldn't look. I still tremble when I think about it. It was, it was the most humbling thing I've ever experienced in my life. And my life was, it was there. It was laid out. And the things you do to affect people, especially as a policeman. And how they think about you and just, it's really not good. And, um, but there was a lot of good too, but there's parts of it that weren't. And I don't think I was a bad person. It's just, it just affected lives. And it it was affecting me watching it. And I saw myself in a a variety of situations. One had to do, I don't know if anybody's ever had an ex-wife. That's, that's listening to me or an, or an ex-spouse if you're a woman. But betrayal is one of the hardest things I've had to overcome. I actually saw the betrayal. And I have a hard time dealing with that even today. And I was in a situation where I was alone with uh, my former wife, uh, unfortunately, because our daughter had some cancer issues and we were in a, we were in a surgery. uh, It's like a waiting room. I hadn't seen her for years and her husband got up and took off and went to the bathroom. And finally we, we had a chance to talk. I didn't feel comfortable talking to her with him there. And I finally told her, I said, we have a daughter that needs us. Whatever happened, we're just going to have to let it go, and we're going to have to uh, to be civil. And we've got 
some big issues to, to, as far as her health is concerned. So we made a pact to do that. And um, I said, you know, there's something I'd like to ask you. And I did. I asked her about the betrayal and I laid it out what I had saw. She confirmed it. And um, I would have never known that unless I saw it in my life review. I saw those things. I saw the Christmas of, I had two grandmothers that, they were really super. One of them had seen Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And this was like 1952 or something like that. And that was before we had television. We used to listen to the radio. And I would go down and and spend time with her. I had a stuttering problem. And she would work with me on that. And she was the sweetest woman. And um, I saw her in the life review. And I saw the Christmas of 1954, which was her last Christmas. And it still bothers me. Um my father had given her a, my parents had given her a Kodak Brownie Instamatic camera. And they were trying to show her how to get it, how to work it, and put the film in and turn the film. And she was all upset, saying, This is too complicated. I don't want to do it. And um, my dad was trying to tell her. And I almost feel the same way about computers when my granddaughters are there and they're telling me about these apps and this, that, and the other. I know all I really want a phone for basically is to call 911 or something like that. But so I understood where she was coming from, but I saw her and it was so good to see her. I saw so many people in my life that as the review unfolded, I had a really, really uh, unusual situation where I lived next door to a guy who was a hemophiliac who was my, my age and he couldn't play with us. He couldn't play ball with us and stuff because he had a bleeding problem and he'd have to have a transfusion. So I would go over to his house and, and I, and like when it rained and we would play like monopoly and board games. And his mom would always make a glass of Kool-Aid. She had a little cherry packet for me that she always kept. And then she'd put some sugar in there and when I saw my life review, I could taste that Kool-Aid. It was so awesome. And I heard somebody say, you were my best friend. I talked about this to my father later on because I was telling him about what I had seen. And my dad said, you know, I forgot to tell you that Paul's father came by to see me in the 80s. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, Paul had been in Los Angeles and he had a hemophiliac episode and they gave him a transfusion and he caught AIDS and died. He says, my dad said, that was Paul that I'm sure of it that told you that. And as I saw these things and validated things, it became evident to me 
It was real. And I want to say this to your audience. What I'm saying to you is no different. I feel like Christopher Columbus or Marco Polo or maybe even Mark Twain. Mark Twain would go off to India, come back, or Marco Polo would go around the world. Same thing with Christopher Columbus, come back, report to the queen. There's no pictures. There's no video. All there is is a firsthand account of what they saw. I am no different than that talking to your audience. Mark Twain would go to India, come back. He'd talk about the elephants. He'd he'd book a hall in San Francisco, get a half dozen people the first time. After he gave the talk a few times, the place would be packed because he could talk. And he would talk about the things he saw. People wanted to hear those things. I think your audience is the same thing, same way, Jeff. And um, I wish I had pictures. I wish I had video. Because I know that's the type of society we live in now. I don't have that. It's just me. And if your audience were to talk to other people that have experienced what I have, they can formulate their own judgment on whether they want to believe it or not. I'm just telling you and your audience what I saw. It's up to them whether they believe it or not. I really don't care. I feel an obligation to do this, which is one of the reasons I'm back. But getting back to the life review, Do you know that I've had 4,787 extra days of life? And Michael Jackson died around the same time I did, the rock, the rock star. And they took him to a special hospital to see a specific doctor in Los Angeles that was renowned for raising the dead. I happened to read about this in a, in, a, in a magazine. And he couldn't revive him. I was deceased the first time over 45 minutes. Those firemen kept the oxygen going in me. I went to a hospital where a doctor who told me he was there because he had he thought he had to write some paperwork up to release somebody, and he'd been so tired the night before, he forgot that he'd written it up. But he heard me come in on the ambulance. And that article that I saw about doctors that, were, that are renowned for raising the dead, guess who one of those doctors was? He would not let me die. And um, I'm going to talk about a little bit more about this near-death experience, but I also had another one with different results. It's called a multi-death experience. I'm rare, but I had it. But anyways, I'm going through my life review 
and something is fidgeting off on the right. It distracted me. And I took a little look over there. I had a dog that was just one of the neatest dogs, period. That, I mean, when she died in 2001, it just broke my heart. That was her. That was my dog, Scooter. I saw her. And I wanted so badly for her to be able to come to me, but she could come to me. But I kept looking over there at her. I didn't know that animals went to where we we go. I didn't know that. But I'm here to testify what I saw, and that was her. I know it was. And saw my life review. I could go through all the different scenarios, births of my children, all the police things that happened, all the interaction I had. I've had some little political turmoil at some time as a, as a community manager. All that stuff, small stuff. In the big scheme of things, it's all small stuff. I saw colors I have never, that don't exist on this earth Fabulous, brilliant colors. And I'm so blessed because there are times at night, seems to be a night where all of a sudden I feel it coming on and I can go sit somewhere in the dark and I can actually see those colors again. I still have that, that effect still in me. I came back. I have like medium uh, tendencies where I can actually read minds. I think uh, you had Dr. Yvonne Kaysan on your show. She'll tell you. I'm 100% accurate. I choose not to develop those. I don't want to. I have my plate full just trying to deal with life after my reckoning. I call it a reckoning. My Life review to me was a reckoning of my life. And when I was revived the first time, I was alive for a while, and then I died again. But it was a different, it, it was a different experience where I just I was on top of my on top of the bed watching them work on me. And all of a sudden, I don't know how it happened, but my attention was drawn to a different part of the building where they were, there were a couple of people going through my wallet and my personal things that had come in with the ambulance. I was paying attention instead of myself. I was paying attention to what they were doing in my wallet. They were trying to find my insurance cards. And all of a sudden, wham, they opened up my police ID. And they, they, they commented on it. I ended up being revived again the second time after being deceased about 10 minutes. And I was in intensive care. I had all these machines hooked up to me. It was, it was not fun. I had that 
thing that was put down my uh, throat to help me breathe. And then, ah, horrible. My throat still is kind of damaged from it. But that's okay. That was 4,000 plus days ago. I'm fine with it. That's small stuff. But I, the doctor took a real interest in me, and he would come in and talk to me. And and I I told him about seeing these people going through my wallet. He goes, wait a minute. So he went over to, uh, I think it was called ad- admissions, brought some people back. And he says, are these the people you saw? And I said, yes. And then I told them what happened. And they were just kind of smiling. They said, he is 100% right. That's exactly what we said. I knew I was there. I experienced it. I don't know what's going to happen. I went through the life review. I was in front of the higher power. It's totally changed my life. I went from a double-A personality to someone that just lives and lets live. Um, I've gotten involved in a community where like a president of, of an animal shelter for three years and planning commission and on the IONS board of directors was vice president and Dr. Kason was president. And then all of a sudden we decided to start something called spiritual awakenings international which I would strongly recommend to your audience to subscribe to because it's free and you'll hear stories like mine and other things of interest. Like we're having somebody talk on UFOs next month, all these different types Kundalini awakenings. We had somebody, we have a variety of things probably have you on Jeff at some point or time. Talk about some of your wild things you've heard, uh, from your podcast, but it's out there. And my life is never going to be the same. I mean, I'm alone. I'm fine. Uh, I have issues. When, when uh, Deborah Diamond wrote about me, uh, I blew out the whole screen. I have these electronic things where, which may have been some of the problems we had at the, trying to get this podcast started. I thought about that, but I didn't want to say anything. I was hoping that wouldn't be the case. But like I said off the TSA, I set off those metal detectors and um, burglar things, like when, when you go through a store door or whatever, I set those things off and microwaves, I sent them off. Um but I'm here and I could talk on and on and on about my life review, but I'm here to tell everybody what you do in this lifetime matters. It really does. And, um, if you get a chance like I did, I can't tell you how many people I've apologized to, um, if they're still alive and I mean, I still live it. I still live everything. I, I don't sleep. 
maybe I sleep two, three hours a day because all this stuff goes off in my mind. And, um, and that's pretty common with an experiencer. And Spiritual Awakenings International is experiencers for experiencers. Those of you that have had near-death experiences like I have, this is a great place for you to go. Because there was a time in this old world, and it probably wasn't too long ago, people like me that would talk about something they've, they've had in a, in a hunch from some sort of a medium experience, they'd burn us at the stake. We realize there's something out there. And the more I talk to groups, and I've talked all over. It's been an honor to talk to everybody. It's been an honor to talk here. But my message has stayed consistent. You can believe what you want to believe. But I'm telling you what I saw. And I know we have a limited amount of time here. There may be questions. I can be reached through Spiritual Awakenings International at any time. My talks are up there on YouTube. I'm sure you're going to put this one up on YouTube. Um, I've gone, some of them gone viral. All over the world. But everybody's seeking the same answer that's happened for centuries, billions of years, which is what happens to me when I die. That's one of the top 10 questions of all time. Mm -hmm. I actually, one of the things that got me comfortable about saying, about talking, which I was not comfortable doing, I happened to be watching YouTube one night and often a little bar there, they have little YouTube things that, uh, other things that you can check, that that you can kind of check on and, and play. And there was one that said, George Harrison, the Beatles last interview. Hmm. I actually saw the last Beatles concert in Candlestick Park in 1966. Mm. <laughs> I was a big Beatles fan. I clicked on it, and there was George Harrison, his last interview, dying of cancer, talking about what really mattered. I would recommend that your audience click on that YouTube, YouTube video. You only have to watch it for six minutes. You'll hear a man who talks about having fame, fortune, anything he wanted. And he should have been worried about what's going to happen to him when he died. He was worried about it. That's pretty common. The more I talk to people, I talk to people in hospice, uh, talk to groups. I've even talked to atheist groups. There You'll never convince me there's not a higher power. Never. And you'll never convince me that what you do doesn't matter. It does matter. And I'm going to turn it back over to you, Jeff. I've been talking too much. Well, that's okay. And I can talk more. I could talk. You ever want me to have back or whatever? I could keep going. (laughs) But I'm looking at the time, and I know – I know you probably want some questions and answers, or I can keep going. I'll leave it up to you. 
I can have you back as a substitute guest when somebody doesn't show up, like a substitute teacher. I do that. <laughs> I've been a professor, too, so um, I can name that tune in one note. <laughs> so if I go back to the beginning here, you first saw your mother, and then you saw your friend. Have you had any other paranormal experiences like that prior to those in your life? No. No. I think about some of the people that were in it, or maybe characters that I'm not sure were people. I don't know. But I don't want to I don't want to talk about that. What but about- that that's that's a reality. Hmm. Um I did I mean, the place was packed. I mean, it just the amount of people you affect in life is just it's incredible. I, I I can imagine what your podcast is. You know, you you affect all types of people with your podcast. For example, if you have a life review, and I think you will, I'm sure that maybe even me, you know, having me on or whatever. Who knows? But I'm telling you, it's a very humbling experience. I don't. I think I'm. I'm I dread thinking that I have to go through it again. Um, and I'm hoping that if I do, I don't have to start from the very beginning and and go all the way. I hope it's the time I came back because <laughs> I've tried to be such. I've tried to be almost like a boy scout, you know, <laughs> or you just. <laughs> Live and let live. Just let it be. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. But no, you are. Oh yeah. Oh. I presume when you say higher power, you are referring to God. And if so, when you go back again, do you feel like you can face God this time? I don't know. I don't know. I'm telling you though. It's not a fun thing. At least it wasn't a fun thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, when I said it was a reckoning. A lot of times I use that terminology as as what I when I give a talk. My life review was a reckoning, and um, so I can't answer that question. I don't know. It's interesting because from the guests that I've had, um, I think most of them would describe God or the higher power, however you want to address that being, as you know, loving, forgiving. And I think even for most people, their life review, even though they may see things that they didn't want to see, it was they still felt like they were forgiven afterwards. But it appears you're not. You don't feel that way. Am I correct by saying that? I may be forgiven, but I haven't forgiven myself. Um, I think that's the difference. I um, I could have done better in a, in a lot of different situations. And I'm not saying I was a bad person. Because um, I did a lot of good. Um, you know, I cut my, 
was a I was a community member. I liked to coach little league and pony league and American Legion ball and basketball and uh, did a lot of things in the community. Um, I was peace officer year in 1976, so you had to do some good to get those that type of recognition. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't happy with what I saw, and um, and I have to realize that they're being perfect is probably never going to happen. It's probably only been one perfect person that's walked this earth, Mm. but um, it still bothers me. And um, I just don't know what else to say other than, um, and I, other than George Harrison's talk, it getting me to talk was really difficult, very difficult. I can't tell my police friends what happened. I still don't talk to them about this. This goes back to the burning of the stake type stuff. I mean, they think you're crazy. So I choose not to talk to them about it. When I talk to them, it's about, Remember when this happened and remember when that happened. I won't go there. But this venue, I will talk about it. Because it reaches an audience that, will, that probably would like to hear about it. Or maybe they'd want to question it. Jeff, I've had, like, I've given talks where people actually, I kind of have like a cult following. People follow me. Um, even when I was doing it in person. Um, I'm nothing special. I'm just someone that died and came back to life, was revived. And by the way, everything is working good except uh, these two fingers on both my hands. And they're starting to get a little more, um, I'm starting to get some some use of those. Like when I type, I have to kind of like peck. That's okay. Small stuff. And um, if you're around people that you really care about, take the time to tell them you care about them. Makes a big difference. Not only in how you'll probably feel about it, but probably how they feel about you. And, um, I mean... Some of the bad situations I was in as a policeman, there was really no other no other recourse. You had to you had to do what you had to do to stay alive. But um, for the most part, there were some things I could have done better. Is it possible that you're too critical on yourself? Yes. Because from one of my podcast guests, one of the messages I got from them. Him or, him or her, I don't remember, but was that we are, um, we're too tough on ourselves. We need to give ourselves a break. Um, I'm so lucky that I started Spiritual Awakenings International with Yvonne Kaysan, who's a psychotherapist. <laughs> I talk to her every day, and um, she's been really good about 
she counsels people that have these problems all the time. She has for 40 years. So, and we just happened to have co-founded that organization together and um, real special person. And I, I know she's uh, uh, taken part of your, in, as far as your podcast, uh, she's been here. So in fact, she's the one I think that recommended mm-hmm. me to you probably. Mm-hmm. But um, um, there are people around that can help you get through their, your, your time and your rehabbing, if, if that's what you want to call it. But uh, your question, am I too hard on myself? I probably am. But um, you had to be in my shoes. Um, you had to be there. So will I ever get over it? Uh, How much time do I have? You just never know. Every day I wake up, I'm so grateful to be alive. I mean, it's just like I wake up thinking, Hey, and it's another day. And I have, I have, I keep a a running total of how many extra days of life I've had. I, I, I think I'm so thankful for it. What would Michael Jackson have given to have this many days? He probably would have given us entire fortune. He probably would have done it. And, you know, I'm going to say this. I've been asked numerous times to write a book. And I've been thinking about this. When they put me on the plane to go from Arizona back to Oregon, I was so tired of being in in the hospital. I finally told the doctor, I want to go home. He says, well, you need another surgery. I didn't even care. I said, I just want to go home. I want to be in my own bed. He says, well, you need this surgery. So he said, I'll let you go home, but as soon as you get to Oregon, you're going to have to have the surgery. So he found a colleague that could do the surgery in Oregon. So I got off the plane and I ended up going to the hospital. And I had to have the surgery. And I was in the recovery room. And the wind was blowing. I could hear the wind blowing. And I could hear the rain hitting the window. And it was like raining sideways. It was a hellacious storm outside. I could hear it. And I was, I just woke up from my surgery and I looked over and there's this old nun sitting next to me. And I thought to myself, am I dead? So I, I said, am I dead? And she goes, no, you're not dead. Uh, she says, you're fine. You're, you're in recovery. And I says, what are you doing here? And she goes, I'm praying for you. Whoa. And she said, you can do me a favor if you'd like. And I said, I can't wait. And she goes, oh, I can wait. But she said, I heard that you were deceased for a long time and you were revived. And I said, that's true. She says, do you remember anything from when you were deceased? And I said, I do. 
She said, I've spent my whole life being a nun. And she said, I would just like to hear your story and ask you some questions. Would you do that for me? And I said, give me a couple of hours. And she said, okay, I will. I'm going to start my book in recovery. Having that old nun there, there's been two people I've told the entire sequence of events to. She's one of them. And as my story unfolds, I'm actually talking to her, watching her cry, just feeling the emotions. I'm a product of a, of a Jesuit education. Like I went to the University of San Francisco was, was Jesuit. Um, a lot of priests taught the classes. Um, have a lot of respect. And um, that's how I'm going to start the book. I've got Yvonne, Dr. Kason nipping at my heels to get it going. So I think eventually I'll get it going. But... Um, It affected that nun's life. If it affected her life, it's affected other lives too. I know it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it. I get, I get, I get email, or I get. Sometimes when I give a talk, it's supposed to be an hour. I'll be there for five or six hours answering questions. I stay till till we're done. And um, that's that's how I feel I'm supposed to do. I feel I'm back to life for the, for that reason. I have a message. And um, just like Spiritual Awakenings International is started because of that message. And so I'm fulfilling what I feel I'm supposed to be doing. Thank you for the venue to be able to do it. <laughs> so your the website is spiritualawakeningsinternational.com? Dot .org. Oh, dot .org. Okay. And you can subscribe. It's free. Mm-hmm. As an affiliated group, like your podcast, for example, could subscribe. It's free. We have monthly presentations that, I mean, we are growing in leaps and bounds. We're in 49 countries. We launched in June of last year. We're in 49 countries, 35 affiliated groups. This last, this month alone, we picked up an affiliated group in Brazil, France, England, um, Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, the United States. We're, we're, we're international. And that's what Yvonne and I wanted to do. Ex- experiencers for experiencers, a safe mm-hmm. harbor. Mm-hmm. Our presentations are knockout. We started out with uh, maybe we, we would get, first couple we'd get 145, which isn't bad. But now we've had to ex- our Zoom thing, we have to expand it so much. And then we've, we've, uh, actually started streaming live on Facebook too. And I mean, we're, if we were in a theater, we'd say we were sold out. Mm. 
it's that we have some tremendous speakers and people that have experiences that, that uh, I think your audience would be interested in hearing. And you, your podcast, I think, would be interested in being an affiliated group because mm. you get your name out there. And actually, you'll be picking up people to listen to your podcast all over. That's what's been happening. Yeah. So I did my plug. Thank you for letting me do that. Hey, it's no problem. It's not a problem at all. I, I offer that to all my guests, you know, whatever they want to plug. Sometimes sure. they have something. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, sometimes they got a book, too. Yeah. <laughs> So, unfortunately, I only have so much time, but before we wrap it up, do you have one last message that you want to share to the audience? Just the one that I shared before. Um, You don't know how much time you have, and this is probably an old cliche type thing, but um, appreciate the things that you're experiencing. Appreciate people. Um, just do the best you can and um, your life's an adventure it's really what you make it it's about choices and just try and make the right choice it's my hopes for example that SAI will go into into prisons and into different venues that maybe we can make a difference in, in other types of places where maybe people need to hear our message or maybe it would help them. Um, I'm sure you would want to do that with your podcast too, but we're, we're just, we're just starting and we're just emerging, but we're like a snow. We're not like a snowball going down a, a hill. that's 90, like a 90 degree angle and there's no trees in the way. We're just, or like a bullet train. We are growing and we got a great message. And I'm sure your audience would like it. And please feel free to contact um, um, me through the through the um, Spiritual Awakenings International or through your podcast. I'll be glad to talk to any any questions you may have, Jeff, with uh, some of your subscribers or people that listen. Um, okay. I'm sure that um, we'll be able to work something out. But thank you once again. Mm-hmm. Thank you to the audience. This is a real honor to be here. And I hope this isn't the last time our paths cross. So hope we meet again. I agree. And thank you again for being my guest. And I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great evening. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.